Welcome to Tricks of the Rich, the cure for financial FOMO. That's the fear of missing out on what all the rich people seem to know that no one ever told the rest of us. We've heard that rich people know how to make money work for them. Were we absent the day they taught that? We're still working for money. Well, we've decided to do what the rich do. Assemble a team of expensive experts and advisors to do the hard work for us. They'll be our guests and we're going to pick their brains every week and learn the tricks of the rich so we have a chance to get rich too, if we so choose. We weren't born with membership in the Rich Person Club, so we're going to crash it. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Tricks of the Rich. I'm your host, Jen Matias, and I'm here with my co-host and sidekick and business partner, Denise Pham. Hello. Who is a realtor in the Bay Area. And we have invited back one of our favorite guests who participated in our podcast about our first podcast about divorce. And we thought we wanted to go deeper with her to talk about collaborative divorce and um, emotions and relationships during divorce. And because she is an expert at it. And her name is Beth Proudfoot. Hi, Beth. Hi, glad to be here. Hi, Beth. Howdy. And Beth Proudfoot specializes in collaborative divorce, which is something that I never heard of. But once she told me about it, it was a light bulb moment that, oh, my gosh, everyone should do this. Um, Of course, one of my follow up questions was, is it expensive to do it? And it does cost a little more to have a collaborative divorce. So this episode is really what can we learn from the best practices of collaborative divorce um, for people who might not do it the official way? But what can we learn from it to to make everyone's divorce more if you can call a divorce positive, <laughs> make a, a, everyone's divorce a little more positive. If you could share with us first a little bit about your background as a therapist and then kind of how you came to be interested in or involved with a collaborative divorce and kind of what your, what footing you're coming at it from. I actually was licensed in 1984. So actually, it's a pretty long story, but I'll try to make it shorter. Um, so I was right out of college. I went to graduate school and became a therapist um, and started working with little kids. Uh, and then I started to have kids of my own. So and it was I kind of wanted to pretend that nothing bad ever happens to kids when I was raising my own kids. And as a therapist for kids, of course, you're meeting kids who have had something bad happen to them like all the time. And that was just too hard for me. So I let go of the practice for a while. I continued as a parent educator because I loved going to a preschool and talking about, you know, discipline and having everybody clap at the end. I think every stay-at-home mom should have some kind of a job where, where people clap at the end. It was awesome. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> then uh, when I was when I was in my uh, – actually, when I was turned 50 uh, – my husband of 30 years said, you know what, I, I haven't really loved you for a long time and I want a divorce. Even hearing you say the words that he said, like hits like a punch in the stomach. Like I can't even imagine. Wow. It was a huge punch in the stomach for me. It was um, horrific. It was an earthquake. It was traumatic for me, actually. And I, you didn't see it coming at all, right? There's no signs or, you know, in retrospect, you can always look back and say, oh, my God, there were signs from when we were 19, you know, but at the moment, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, this happens, actually, in, I would say, most divorces. There's been one person who's been thinking about it for a long time and another person who's like blindsided. Wait, I knew it wasn't perfect, but I, I thought we were working it out. Um, anyway, it was, it was hard for me. I actually wasn't angry. I was just really sad. I was super, super sad. Um, and I 
had yeah. met this lawyer at a literary event a couple years before. And he had told me that he works in this thing called collaborative divorce. And I'm like, you know, back when I was a counselor, I wish I'd known about that because I would have told my clients about it. It sounds like such a great, respectful process. Um, and so I remembered that. And I called my friend who had invited me to that this literary event, and she remembered that guy <laughs> and put me in touch with him. And so I had a collaborative divorce. Um, anyway, so my my divorce was difficult. I, a collaborative divorce does not, rec- you know, does not promise that you're just going to suddenly get over your trauma or not have any conflict. It just teaches you a better way to to resolve things. And actually, for me, it was transformational. When I started my divorce, I was really beaten down. I was really sad. When my ex was in the same room with me, I couldn't actually speak because my throat was so clogged. And the process itself, the way the collaborative divorce works, the whole team was about helping me to find my voice, helping me to understand that I did have Mm -hmm. power in this situation helping me to understand what was really important to me and to understand what was important to my soon-to-be ex and figure out how to come up with a solution that would work for both of us. And I think like the, the typical, the typical archetype is like, you know, it's, is, is um, adversarial, right? I mean, there's the, there's the, the one spouse's team, the other spouse's team, and it's one trying to get from the other, whereas collaborative divorce, like what is the difference with collaborative divorce? Are there still two teams or there's one team for both people? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's some disadvantages to mediation. So, you know, the first way, way that people thought of, of getting people out of court, which is just so ugly and people get into wars that last, gen, you know, forever, the first thought was let's do mediation and actually they do a lot of mediation within the court process now. And the trouble with mediation in some cases is that, well, somebody needs some extra support. Somebody needs an advocate sitting right next to him. In my case, I couldn't speak when we first started. I could, nothing came out of my throat. Yeah, wow. I needed to have my attorney sitting right next to me as we were negotiating. I actually I needed my coach too to sit next to me. Notice when I was so completely flooded that I was just thinking, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> Instead of thinking about whatever it is we were talking about at the moment and knew to take me out of the room and help me to calm down and help me figure out what I wanted to say. So it's like having a team there to support you. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much every divorce, somebody needs that. Do each spouse have their own collaborative coach or is that an option for one spouse to have it and the other could just work straight with their attorney? It's not an option for just one to have a coach, but sometimes there's a neutral coach that's there for both people. Um, This saves some money. um, And especially when people actually communicate well, there's not a big power imbalance. They're actually doing okay. Um, you can do with just one coach. Um, sometimes, you know, one of the big jobs of the coach in collaborative divorce is they actually do the parenting plan. So the custody piece in traditional representation, we call it the parenting plan in collaborative. And it's that we leave the lawyers out of it. The lawyers are out. It's just the coaches who understand children, who understand what children need, 
who help the parents decide together about what the best thing is for their kids. And that's another thing that's unique about collaborative practice. We get the lawyers out of it. Well, even the, even the language around it, instead of a custody plan, that parenting plan, or that that's, it's, it takes a totally different tone. And are the, are the coaches by, uh, by necessity, are they trained in like child development or like the, what, what makes them the best advocates for, uh, cause I imagine the, the, the two spouses they want what's best for the kids but what's best for the kids is them. Like, I mean, they, they, there has to be a, the coach has to have some sense of um, diplomacy, but in fairness, but also what objectively really is right for the kids. So do they always have a, a background in psychology or child development? Yeah, there are several hurdles that collaborative coaches have to go through. We have to be licensed as mm-hmm. uh, mental health professionals. We have to go through 40 hours of mediation training. We have to go through three days of collaborative training, um, and we have to be a part of a collaborative practice group that does ongoing trainings like all the time. I would say that most people who choose this job are actually, my colleagues are super smart. Um, they really they think fast on their feet because you have to in a situation like this. Um, they have a lot of background in just how people work and how emotions work. Um, and some are more, I mean, not all of them have been child therapists for years, but all of them have worked with adults and couples for a really long time, actually. So I don't know any collaborative coaches that aren't deeply experienced therapists first. Um, and then they choose to take this role for one reason or another. For me, the inspiration was I, I became an evangelist for the process after my own, after my own divorce. Did, do, is there some, uh, are there checks and balances where the, the, the coaches, like what the, the custody plan or the parenting plan that is agreed upon, does it have to get validated or a court or something has to say like, yes, this is fair. Let's codify this. Let's make this official. Is there still that, that hurdle after the choice is made? Yes. Yeah, so what we do is we send the parenting plan when we're all done, we send it to the lawyers, both lawyers to look through to see if there's anything in there that a court would object to or that we haven't addressed. Um, and uh, they, they sometimes they'll send it back to us to, to work on it and decide on. They like lawyers like very specific language. They like you to predict bad things happening. And that's just not in our nature as therapists. We, <laughs> we don't like to predict bad things happening. We want to predict good things happening. Anyway, so the lawyers do bless it. And then it becomes part of the marital separation agreement, which is filed with the court. So yes, it is actually absolutely becomes a legal, everything that you do in collaborative at the end becomes a legal document, just as if you had gone through the court process. You just, you just took a, you took, you did it all beside the court, not in it. I see. And, and then is there a, is there, uh, maybe every, every collaborative divorce is different, but what is the balance between what the lawyers are the voice for figuring out? Or versus the coaches, like, or is it really those four people collaborating along with uh, the two spouses? Like, what is the balance of power, so to speak? I understand the parenting plan is mostly the coaches because that's not that's more an interpersonal thing than a law thing. But what about money? Like, who 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 hammers out the money affairs? Yeah, so there's actually a fifth member of the team, uh, which is the. Um, neutral financial person. So there's a, uh, 
uh, it's called a certified divorce financial analyst who is the neutral person who gathers all the financial documents. Um, and they, they actually come up with the disclosures, which is another um, document that has to be filed with the court. Um, and um, it is actually the full team that meets to fully negotiate the financial settlement. The lawyers are there to talk about the law and what would happen if they had gone to court. It's a piece of information that people need to know. Uh, the financial person is there to talk about what's the tax law, what's the difference between a 401k and a Roth IRA, um, and what are the tax consequences going to be of that down the line, right? Um, and the coaches are there in the room just to make sure everyone stays calm and communicates well. Um, we're in charge of calling the break when someone gets flooded. Um, and we're also in charge of like asking the not really very stupid question because sometimes lawyers and financial people get into their own jargon and they don't realize that the clients are not following. They're not getting it. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of spouses would probably feel, well, I don't want to look like the dumb one to be the one to raise their hand and say like, wait a second, you lost me. So having that, that coach there to do that, I think that would be even that. And it seems like having that kind of sidekick coach and any high stakes emotional negotiation would be useful, but I mean, especially divorce. Nowadays, if someone contacted you to help coach them in a collaborative divorce, what is, what is the price of it? Like, I mean, how, what kind of governing body do you go through? How are people paid? Like, let's talk logistics of this thing. So each professional has their own fee and uh, each party pays their own professionals. So usually early in the divorce, we figure out, we know what the financial situation is and the couple decides together with the help of the team, which pot of money that they're going to use to pay for the divorce. Um, so that's an early on discussion. Um, and, you know, so the, it's hard to, to say exactly. In fact, I just had someone email me. Okay, let's get specific. Exactly what does a collaborative divorce cost? And I'm like, I can't tell you. Um, you know, lawyers in general in Silicon Valley, where I work, charge around $400 an hour, right? Um, coaches charge around $300 an hour. So, and how often are you going to use your professionals? You know, that's, it's, We'll see. I would say, actually, though, that I, I wouldn't really start a collaborative divorce unless we really knew that people did have thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars to spend on their divorce. And I know that seems like a lot, but that if you compare that to litigation, that's a drop in the bucket. So, Beth, when you say thirty-five thousand, you're including your fees, the attorney fees, and this whole collaborative process. Yeah, and that's really minimum. Like, do you do like a retainer? How attorneys do a, a retainer, and you just and you build them out as they use your time. So I actually am not comfortable with that. I just have been a, a counselor too long, and back in the eighties, when I took my ethics exams, it was all about we don't take retainers, um, and I, that has changed actually, and it's not actually relevant to to coaches. Many coaches do take a retainer. I just I have a secure system that keeps people's credit card numbers on file. And I just charge people by the hour as they use the hour. So, um, and I, I, I just want to say that many collaborative divorces cost more than that. They may cost 
50, maybe even 100,000. What I tell people is like, look, when you enter into litigation, it's true you're only starting with that $10,000 retainer for each lawyer, but the costs go up from there. As you hire your forensic accountants and your child, you know, custody evaluators, the costs just keep going up. With collaborative, the costs go down over time. And because we know that when you come to an agreement collaboratively, you're more likely to keep it because you, you really agreed to it. It wasn't some judge imposing it on, on you. You really think it's a really good agreement for you. You're going to keep it. You don't have to go back. And because the coaches have been teaching people how to communicate the entire time, then when they do have issues that come up in the future, they can negotiate themselves. They don't need anybody else to help them. Well, I think about the the old-fashioned way. It's just like an upward spiral of more experts, more contention, more adversarial stuff, and more one-upping, more arguments. Like the entire thing is premised and feeds on that upward spiral of costs and time and aggravation where, yeah, collaborative divorce, like you might say up front, like, look, we're going to pay for it, but it's the entire thing is a, a calming mechanism, a denouement of stress. And, and, and um, as the collaboration increases, the, the cost won't spiral out of control. And the, the more, the better the coaches are in making everyone more agreeable, you're going to also be, you're going to be chopping off hours of time because, you know, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, we just reached a milestone. We're all that much more agreeable. That takes 10 hours off the back end. So even if you budget for, um, $30,000, which is a hundred hours, you know, you might, you might be chopping that down with every, every right. emotional, um, goal line that you cross in the, in the relationships between the parties. So I love that idea. Yeah. I think, um, do you, start, do you start like re- talking to a coach and then the coach kind of, um, says like, well, here's the team that we need and kind of projects like this is kind of how we see it playing out. And are you kind of that that first point of contact to enter the whole system? Because it seems like it would be kind of difficult to get to have, you know, have to call five different people and make sure they know how to work as a team. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I'm a tiny bit famous in this world. <laughs> so I, I am sometimes the first Ooh. point of contact. Um, we have a celebrity on our podcast. <laughs> don't, don't be impressed. It's a very small Love world. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, usually people, though, come in through one of the lawyers. One person will contact one of their lawyers, and the lawyers, the lawyer will recommend a different lawyer for the other person, and then the lawyers would get together and figure out who would be the best coaches for this couple. Uh, when people have, so another role we didn't talk about is in collaborative divorce that's unique is the child specialist. And that's a person who mm. comes in just to give the couple information. Um, they meet with each child and talk with the children about what's happening for them, how they're dealing emotionally with their change in their family, and then comes back to the parents with that information. And that person is a neutral. And I've taken that role many times. I love that role. And because um, I love children and I know how to work with children, I've got a great big playroom full of toys that we can play with. And um, oftentimes yeah. people who are so worried about their kids will come to me first. And as a neutral, I can tell them the whole team. Um, you know, uh, they can hire me as the child specialist and then I can tell them who else 
would, you know, because I know a little bit more about them after talking with them, who else might be the best to work with them and, and form a good team? Sometimes okay. people are so worried about money that the financial is the first, first person that they talk to. And that financial can also help them form the team. So Beth, I guess if there was, um, it was someone who's going to go into a divorce knowing that their spouse was going to be a challenge. Would a collaborative um, team work or would it be something that you would need more like a... A fighter. Yeah. A shark <laughs> attorney versus... Say, right. I would say everyone goes into divorce thinking that their spouse is going to be a problem. <laughs> so it's like universal. Um, and universally, there's not very much trust as people are entering divorce. There are some situations that absolutely should be litigated. And those are situations that need a court order. So if there has been spousal abuse, if there's been just coercive control, bullying within the relationship, that's going to be a tough one for any kind of voluntary process to handle. So that one, you're going to, you may need court orders just for safety reasons. And in that case, you got to go to a judge. There are some spouses, not maybe not both in a situation, but there may be one spouse who like needs to win or needs the judge to say that they are right. And a mediated process is never going to work for them either because they need the judge to tell them that they're right. And they will keep going to court until the judge tells them that they're right, even though it's 10 years. Yeah. So those cases wow. are what ends up in the court. Yeah. Have you ever been in a collaborative divorce where it became clear, like, wow, we tried to go down this path, but this person is just putting on their armor and they are just fighting tooth and nail. Like we, we, um, this collaboration kind of is falling apart. We went in with the best intentions, but does it ever get ugly like that? Or I'm sure it's less likely, but it must happen sometimes. No. It does. And sometimes it's only about one issue. So everything else they decided mm -hmm. collaboratively, and there's one issue that they feel like they have to go to court about. Sometimes you only discover after you've been down the road for a while that you have somebody who just really needs the judge to say that they're right. And, you know, it's yeah. nobody's fault. We just didn't see it, you know, coming in. I would say of the cases that I've worked on, I've worked on maybe 50 cases and I've had one that we just, it just became very clear that the person needed to go and, and do a litigated process. One of the other unique things about collaborative is that none, none of the professionals will follow you if you decide to drop the process and go to litigation. So your lawyer doesn't stay your lawyer. You have to get a new lawyer. And mm -hmm. that's in part to protect wow. the privacy of the conversations that you had while you were trying to come to an agreement. Nobody gets to be deposed about what was talked about as you were just talking it through, try to figure it out, brainstorming. That's all confidential. It will never go to court. And the, the people that you're working with will never go to court. The people that you're working with have no motivation to stop this process. They want it to continue. They want it to, to finish, get to the finish line. Oftentimes we get to the point where people actually have to make decisions. And that's really hard because we, we kind of go softly for a while. And then we get to the point where it's like, okay, we have to make decisions here. And one of the little, and it happens in almost every case, there's a little added, oh my gosh, we've already spent a lot on this divorce. I guess we have to come to a decision. <laughs> so in some ways, what they've spent on the divorce so far is a, 
That's it's a motivator. Okay, we gotta get to okay, fine, I'll let you have the the garden hose because I don't want to spend any more money on this. And that's a good thing. <laughs> well, the do um do most it seems like uh the stakes are obviously higher when there are kids involved, but um I can see the benefit of collaborative divorce no matter what, but like particularly with kids and um, I definitely want to, I want to talk a lot about how to deal with kids in, in a divorce situation. But one of my big questions is, is it ever, in your experience, is it ever a good idea to stay married for the kids if you don't really like your spouse? Because I know a lot of people who are in that boat. And I always, you know, and and as much as I'd like to say, oh, there's not a good reason to stay together for the kids. When you hear about how disruptive divorce is and how it can financially destroy one, if not both of the couples, I sometimes I'm like, you know, well, and also mentally for the kids, too. Yeah, like sometimes it does seem better just to suck it up and stay married. But what, what's your thought on that? How toxic is your relationship? Because mm-hmm. if your relationship is super toxic, if you can't walk in the room without hurling some kind of nasty thing at your spouse or, or vice versa. You don't want to keep your kids exposed to that. Um, you know, people yeah. do take divorce seriously. They don't divorce on a whim. You know, they, they really, they, it takes a long time for people to decide to divorce. Many people do stay together for the sake of the kids. But if you are exposing your kids to a really, really dysfunctional family, divorce in many cases is better. I'm just saying. Um and actually, we have many parents who are concerned about telling their kids they don't want to tell their kids. And then they tell their kids and their kids go, well, it's about time. But how does it do you recommend, you know, if you talk to someone before they've talked to their kids about divorce, how do you recommend the parents break it to the kids? And is it kind of based on the kid's age or like, how do you how do you approach that? So in collaborative, we would actually have a meeting with both coaches and the parents to talk about this. Um, And we would develop Mm -hmm. a script and figure out the time and the place and what exactly the parents are going to say. And it does depend a lot on the timing and the script depend a lot on how old the kids are. Uh, Of course, with a three and a half year old, you're not going to use a lot of words. You know, you're going to use some words. You're going to use that divorce word. Right. Um, And you're going to tell them what that means. Um, and you're going to have a calendar just like they have at preschool with the happy faces on it. And one happy face is mommy and one is daddy. And these are the houses that you're going to be, you know, staying overnight at. Um, but that's a very different conversation that you're going to have with your eight-year-old or with your 17-year-old uh, or with your adult child. You know, people remember the day that their parents told them they were divorcing, no matter what their age, even if they're 45. Um, it is a wow. powerfully difficult conversation with kids and it's worth it to spend some time planning it, plotting it through, figuring out exactly what you're saying um, and when you're going to say it and how you're going to say it. Do you find that um, I can imagine there are certain universal standards for how to handle the child's emotions, but I also imagine that there's a big 
input or it matters a lot what the value systems are of the parents and whether or not it's really important to like identify what is love, what is marriage. Like, you know, some people would just be like, we don't love each other anymore. And some people like, I would never want to tell my kid we don't love each other anymore because you should always love everyone forever. Like, it seems like that would get, that could get really sticky really fast because there's so many value systems and, um, uh, you know, deeper meanings. It's not just we're going our separate ways with kids, especially it's really delicate. Yeah. And it's not just one conversation either. You know, it's a series of conversations over yeah. time. Um, you know, I just had my, my young um, new daughter-in-law ask me, tell me about your divorce. <laughs> Like it, you know, never ends. That's not good. Red flag. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> Did you tell your son? Um, <laughs> so one thing I encourage parents to think about is that actually what children are learning about is not about their parents' divorce. It's about their own marriage. So when you're thinking about what you talk with your kids about, about your divorce, you're talking with about them, them about what they can expect for their own marriage. And, you know, I think yeah. when you were talking to your eight-year-old girl, you know, and she's got this idea that she's going to be a princess and she's going to find the right guy and live happily ever after. And this divorce story is really messing with that little narrative that that eight-year-old's got going, right? So really thinking about it. Happily ever after doesn't exist. And, but is that what you want to tell your eight-year-old daughter? Yeah, forget it. You'll never find anybody that you can be ha happily ever after with. No, I don't. That's not what you want to tell your eight-year-old. But that's why it requires some thought. And and you're right, Jen. It is about values. Um, and different parents have different values. And some of these deep discussions, the kids will actually go to each parent to find out their take on it. And it's okay. It's like we have different teachers that have different points of view. We have different parents. They have different points of view. It's all fine. We're all learning. Right. We're learning from each of our parents all the time. Um, but it is I think it is something to think deeply about. What's the story that I want my child to know about their future relationships that weaves into why their parents mm -hmm. are getting divorced? And that's not a that's oh, I can't give you a glib answer to this because everybody has to figure that out for themselves. Well, just, just that, that, that is a pearl right there. Just like, you know, you're telling your kids something about what marriage means and what their future might look like. And it, this could be a moment of, of soothing and, and calm and hope or absolute negative, uh, pessimistic failure. So it's, it's very important. And I think collaborative divorce, having the structure of the coaches and the child expert to help the spouses or soon to be ex-spouses not speak from emotion and anger, but to really think about the long-term implications of what they're doing, because it really can, it can rock a kid's world forever. And their generation after generation, really, it's just so delicate. It really is. And, you know, I think because of, we have this, this people don't decide together, they want a divorce. It's one person who's made that decision and the other person's kind of surprised. And in most cases, actually, um, sometimes that person who's been thinking about it for a long time gets blamed, right? Sometimes they've had an affair. Sometimes they, they, right. you know, they just, it, they, they're the one saying, I want a divorce. It's not the other person, but you have to remember kids get to keep both parents. We don't want to blame one parent for this very different transition that's happening in kids' lives. We want to say, you know what? A divorce 
is about a marriage, which is about things between grownups, not between kids. Right. So actually the nitty gritty of what happened here, we're, we're not going to share with you because it's grown up stuff. Your job is to be a kid and keep being a kid. That's it. Well, how about if the kid is all this, like a teenager and what if, for instance, your religion is very against divorce, but your spouse wants to divorce you? At some point you have to say like, no, divorce really is wrong. Your daddy wanted it and I didn't. Like, that's a horrible thing to have to tell a kid. But in a way, like as a mother, if that were important to me that my kid know, I would have fought for it no matter what. You know, it's it's some like maybe when the kid is a teenager or something, then you can go to that next level, correct? Because you can't always just say mommy and daddy decided to do this if the value system is different. So what you just said really throws daddy under the bus, doesn't it? It calls him a sinner. Like he's going totally. to hell. Yeah. Right. And that's not that's not yeah. OK. Um, and so. I, there, I get, I, you are totally right that people, the leaning in people like me in my marriage really want to just say to the kids the truth, which is it was your dad who wants this divorce, right? But it's not the best thing for the kids. And sometimes you just have to suck it up. There are many other times in your life that okay. you have to suck it up for your kids. And this is one of those times. I, I'm sorry. I, you know, there are other, I will tell you there are other there are other people who advise that it's okay to say it was one person's idea or the other. I don't agree. I, I really don't agree. I uh, think that's great. That's, that's tough love for the person who wants to paint themselves as more innocent. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that it's kind of like, you got to take the bullet. You got to suck up stuff in life sometimes for the greater good and the greater good really should be the kids. Yeah. And we're not creating a war for the kids emotions. Let's just not do that from the very beginning. Let's just have the intention. It's not a war to see who gets the kids love, right? So that is a sucking pit <laughs> you, you, that you will never get out of. Yeah. Let's not go there. We're not going to go there. We're not going to compete for our children's affection. That is the worst thing for children. Um, and it's a temptation for yeah. every single parent. It was a temptation for me. It's a temptation for every single parent going through divorce. And yep, it is a kind of a kick in the pants. You got to suck it up. So would you say like just having this collaborative teamwork, um, it, the tricks for the people who, who can't afford this. I mean, the benefit I see is just being able to come out, not just um, financially, but mentally more uh, capable to move forward. And yes, it might sound expensive at $35,000, $50,000. would have cost you less to go through a regular divorce, but you don't have that mental support that it sounds like the collaborative team really offers. If you end up with a contentious divorce and you have like mental baggage that you're in therapy and your kids are in therapy for the rest of your life because you had a bad divorce, that gets a lot more expensive than just paying for a good, supportive, collaborative divorce. Correct. Yeah. And I would say that there are, you can consult with people like the divorce coaches like me, no matter what process you're in, you can have your own therapist, no matter what process you're in, you can continually do the spiritual practice of getting out of fear and anger and into love and generosity and just take every day, go today, I'm not going to get down into my own fear about my future. I'm going to get up into, I want 
my spouse to have a good future. Um, and just changing your mindset. It takes two people to have a fight. Uh, you know, in, in litigated divorces, it takes four people. That's the two lawyers plus the other the two parties. But in, in it, you, if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. You don't have to. Um, you can figure out a way to have integrity throughout your entire divorce, to be in love and generosity throughout your entire divorce, no matter which process you go to. And when you are able to do that, you will save money in whatever process you're in. You don't have to rely on what oh, your I love ex that. is doing. I feel like you, Beth, like you with that, even that advice, like you are the silver bullet. Like maybe if you don't go all the way in collaborative divorce with all the parties, at least having your mindset coaching for like, go into it like this, you will save money, look at it like this. You won't have long-term regrets. Like, I feel like that is a fantastic investment. Like everyone should do this. It will end up saving you money. Well, and I think what I noticed, like when, even when we talk with Joe or Clay, or even in my, my real estate business too, it's, it's really, yes, it's a very emotional roller coaster situation, but you help them take out all the personal emotion and move forward with the long-term end result that you're looking for. So I, I think that's definitely very valuable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, cool. I would add to that, actually, it's great to have professionals to help you, but it's better if they're all working together, right? It's better if they're all communicating yeah. with each other. They're all working toward the same goal. Because a lot of people, they'll hire their financial person, their coach, their whatever, their lawyer, but they're not working together. And sometimes they're working at cross purposes, right? So that's one of the magic things about collaborative is that they're all working together. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you imagine you have an attorney that you're like, oh, I need a shark. We need to go for go go get it. And then you have like another console, you know, another element of your team who wants to deescalate calm and be really keep it placid. Yeah, I can imagine that would waste a lot of time and money and never get the result you want. Yep. There's a term in the legal profession, I guess, that I had never heard before, except, uh, before a couple of weeks ago called, oh, that's a churn and burn lawyer. And what does that mean? Churn and burn means you take people's money and you keep fighting for them until the money runs out and then you drop them. And, you know, some oh people God. who have, some people who have the reputation of being a shark attorney, that's what they are. They're a churn and burn attorney. They're going to escalate the conflict until your money runs out, and then they're going to kiss you goodbye. Um, I, I, actually, so this is my bias against the legal system just coming out. And there's good reasons, actually, for some people to get a litigated divorce. And I, I, I will reiterate that. Uh, but you don't want to hire a shark attorney. When you hear some, your friends saying, I got to find a shark attorney, say no. Just say no. No, nope, don't find a shark attorney. Find an attorney that's going to work well with your soon-to-be ex-spouse and his lawyer or her, her lawyer so that you can come up with an agreement that's going to work for everybody. That's what you want. You don't want a shark. When you think you want a shark, if you act with that negative energy or that negative momentum, you are signing up for an ugly, ugly ride. And you can't... And it's only going to get worse and worse. That's the whole point of that attorney. So, it, you know, it, it goes to the point you said you really cross a bridge and it's better for you when you're not even concerned about winning, but you are really looking out for you want your spouse to be happy on the other end. Like if you don't set your mind to that in the beginning, 
every other force is pulling you the other way. So um, I think that it's it sounds very kind of touchy feely, but that really is the guiding light and the guiding principle of how to manage yourself in divorce. Whether you have money, kids, bad, good relationship, whatever it is, like you really have to come at it from that approach or it's going to deteriorate fast. I'm curious because I actually do have someone I know that is talking about a divorce and there is real estate involved with divorce. No kids, um, fortunately, in this case. But so like um, having that person talk to you first might actually even make that real estate process in selling the house um, much more smoother because I know that when I deal with divorces where the spouses are not in agreement it just makes the whole real estate process more challenging what does a what what does the consultation look like with you or are you mostly just uh, pulled in once you once an attorney is involved uh no i i can i can start the case um just by myself and um i usually sometimes people are just curious about the process they really want to know what their choices are or they want to form a team and I'll just do a half hour with both of them and run through that. Um, coaching is not like therapy. It's not like you're signing up for weekly appointments. It's really up to the clients when they want to come and for how long. So, um, and we, we kind of set up that relationship from the beginning that, and pretty much every session I go, okay, do you want to set another appointment or you just want to wait for a while? Right. And so it's not, it's not, it's not the same thing as therapy at all. And um, people do come to me for little issues, but not usually the real estate. Usually for the real estate, they really want to talk to their attorneys because there are so many interesting, really real estate comes up in every single divorce where people have a house because either they're going to mm -hmm. sell it or they're going to value it and one person is going to keep it. Um, and there's all kinds of very inter interesting negotiations that can go on about that. And I, I actually will say that in collaborative, we make them talk it through before they ever hire the realtor because otherwise I, I understand it's a total disaster for the realtor who's trying to navigate two people who have totally different ideas about what's happening. So It almost seems like, you know, Denise, in the case of your client, it's like, it would be a service, you know, if your client didn't want to hire Beth, but just to say like, look, it's inevitable that the house has to be sold to get the mindset of the husband and wife right so they can be partners knowing that like, look, selling this house, it's going to have to happen just to get their minds right so they don't kill each other and work against each other. Like the decisions are entirely emotional at that point. It's not about what's best because what's best is that they get along and sell the house for as much as possible. But if they make it about anything other than that... No, definitely. I, I definitely see value in that. And I'm, I think just having you be there to have that conversation change their mindset. I'm so glad that I know of this thing. I mean, I, I've never heard of it. Man, there are a lot of tricks that the rich are using and hiring and outsourcing that, um, you know, it, it's a service that shouldn't just be discriminated towards the rich, but really just for everyone to know about. Another thing that I've done sometimes is help people divide their stuff because that's another thing that comes up with the sale of the house. They have to get rid of everything, right? And this is a huge mm -hmm. deal. And they, I mean, really, there's all kinds of different processes that we use to help people figure out, you know, about ant 
so-and-so's piece of art and you know i mean it's uh, th that's often a, actually a really big deal in divorce is dividing up those objects that have memories attached anyway I, i'm not i'm not that professional organizer but i i can help mediate that discussion and sometimes i actually show up at the house and be the kind of um referee <laughs> Yeah, be the, that that mindset coach, or just just be like, oh, yeah. just you know, just to instill people with like a natural generosity. They might not feel that moment. Like, I think that's really useful. So, it's funny how like a lot of things, and we talked, we've talked about this since the beginning of the podcast. Like, money and stuff is so closely tied to our self worth, our mindset, our self image, our entire relationship with other humans, with ourselves, like. It's not just about the stuff. Richness and wealth really comes from having a good quality of life. And don't get too hung up on the stuff or the money or um, anything like that. It really is about having the right mindset about it and giving other people grace and giving yourself grace so that you're happy. That's the ultimate wealth and richness, I think. Stuff is a burden. It's human nature to go down into fear. That, and especially in this big change, that's universal, human nature. We're scared with big changes. Of course we are. We're human. And, and we're angry that we had to make that change. You know, and, and you know, and with divorce, there's other great big emotions, betrayal and all kinds of other things. And that's normal. That's human. That's just like everybody feels that way. And we also have this wonderful wisdom in our brain that we can access. Um, that goes above those feelings. Um, it's hard, though. It's really hard. Uh, when you're stuck in that fear and ang anger, it's really hard to get out of it. Um, and so it helps to get some support about that. Um, so, like, don't go to your stuff as a refuge from your emotion. Go to a higher plane of your emotion instead of the stuff. Right. And happiness is about freedom from stuff, actually. <laughs> Be free from your stuff. It's, it's liberating. Your stuff is a burden. What you own ends up owning you. So like, just make sure you keep stuff in balance. Well, thank you, Beth, so much. Any final parting thoughts for, for you, Beth? I have said this many times, and I guess I'll say it here. My collaborative divorce cost $100,000. And to me, it was worth every penny. I would have paid more. Um, now, if you had asked me at the beginning, do you want to spend $100,000 in your divorce? I would have said, no, no, I'm terribly worried about money. I'm afraid I'm going to be spending my retirement in a cardboard box. And you, what, what, what? In retrospect, though, it was totally, totally, totally worth it. And I would have paid more. Um, and that's, you know, I, 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 that's all I can say, I guess. And I, I think that when you have to consider, I think another trick of the rich is understanding what has value. So you could spend a lot of money on a litigated process that had no value. Or you could spend a lot of money on a collaborative process that changed your life and made you a better parent um, and helped you have a better future for both you and your children going forward. Um, and that's, that's a decision that you can only make when you're in your wise brain. I love that. I hope anyone listening to this who is going to be approaching a divorce or if it happens down the line, remember what Beth said. Well, and I want to actually 
plug in a silver lining because I do know a little bit about Beth's background and you're happily remarried again or uh, getting married again or getting getting married yes we were supposed to get married last year but there was COVID (laughs) I think that's really important right to even bring up because I know that the divorce was yeah the divorce was hard and it took me a long time to get over it I had therapy for years um, I'm a believer as a therapist. I believe in therapy. Um, anyway, my, yeah, my fiance is an artist. He's an actually pretty famous artist and we get to travel all over the place. And, um, it's just so much fun to live with someone who's so creative uh, and is such a can do person and who actually really loves me. So I actually, you know, at the time my divorce was really traumatic for me. In retrospect, in hindsight, looking back, I was deeply unhappy in that marriage. And I am super amazingly happy in this relationship. And it was all for the best. It all worked out. My kids are happy too. My kids are doing great. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Denise, for bringing that up and Beth for sharing yeah. that. That's that's beautiful. I love to end on a positive note. Uh, Very good, encouraging. Good, good, good. Beth, Denise, yeah. thank you so much. Hi, it's Jen, and I want to tell you about Denise Pham, my realtor, who is so great and so wise, I made her my business partner and my co-host on this podcast. How you buy and sell your homes can affect your well-being and happiness for years to come, so be careful when choosing a realtor. Denise is not a salesperson who will show you pretty houses until she convinces you to buy one and then disappears with her commission check. She's a true advisor and advocate. She'll fight for what's best for you, even if that means suggesting you walk away from a gorgeous, expensive home with no yard, knowing you'll wish you had one for your kids in five years. Yes, that happened to me, and I'm thankful to Denise every day. She also has a team of experts and a network of contacts, from lenders to general contractors to financial advisors, that will help you make the best choices, whether buying a single-family home or using real estate as an investment strategy. She's a great business partner, and she can help you create the ideal life for you and your family. Visit tigerrealtor.com or contact her through tricksoftherich.com. No strings attached. She'd love to talk with you about your goals and how she can help you achieve them. Thank you so much for listening to the Tricks of the Rich podcast. Be sure to visit our website, tricksoftherich.com, where you can find recordings of the podcast and submit questions for our Q&A sessions and a list of events that we're having in your area so we can meet you in person and answer your personal questions. Thanks so much.